I absolutely love church camp. Like I have a lot of fond memories. I can even remember some activities slash crafts that we made when I was in first grade and third grade. I wasn't able to go in second and fourth because I was sick, but like I still remember just different things each year. Um, I love that we get to partner with Prairie View. And uh, some of you may not know this, but even this year, Cameron's helping kind of with the online uh, registration process because they, uh, Phil reached out. And so hopefully this should make some things easier for them. Um, so much that Phil was doing a happy dance. And so like hopefully just being able to help him out. But I love the partnership there. I love as you keep getting deeper, like older, the amount of time that you get to spend in the depth of just looking at scripture and then what this means for my life. And so a lot of times, uh, you know, spending six to 10 hours a day in the word of God and with experiences, you know, sometimes we'll talk about this spiritual high, but it doesn't just get there by accident. It is because we have spent time with God and he's able to speak in some ways when we're able to listen that maybe we don't when we're at home because we don't spend that amount of time. And so one of the things that we'll talk about is when you go home, like being ready because you go back into, we'll just call it reality. Now, that doesn't mean that what happened at CIY or a high school camp, middle school camp didn't really happen. But again, most of us are not spending six to 10 hours in his word on a daily basis. And so there's a different aspect of God being able to speak to us and us listening. And so this idea of when we're coming off of this high, then coming back into reality. And I tell you that because that's a little bit of what is happening in our text today. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9. But last week, the event that we looked at was called the Transfiguration, all right? And so Jesus was up on the mountain with his inner three disciples. While he's up there, he sees Moses and Elijah, and they have a conversation about his upcoming departure. He transfigures, he transforms into somewhat of his godly state. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but this amazing event happens. And so now what we're reading today is directly after that. Okay, And so in one of the commentaries, Mark Moore, who's uh, a teaching pastor at a church in Arizona, said, This section might be titled, From the Divine to the Mundane. Jesus and the three have just had the most incredible spiritual experience of their lives. And then while coming down the mountain, Jesus is confronted by this quarrelsome, faithless mob and impotent apostles. It's a powerful reminder that we live in a real world filled with unbelief and immaturity, and quarrels. And yet this is the world that needs the divine experience related to it. This is where religion belongs, not up on the mountain. And so even though Jesus has had this experience, he is coming back down to where people are. And so there is going to be an encounter that we're looking at. So let's jump into Mark chapter 9, read verses 14 through 16. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. Okay, so we'll stop there. So here is at the bottom of the mountain as Jesus and his inner three are coming down. There are the disciples. There is this large crowd and there are teachers of the law, part of this crowd. And there is a big argument happening. Now, I will tell you, we're not 100% sure on what the argument is, although we have a pretty good idea what it is. And we'll talk about that just in a moment. But here's the teachers of the law. Any moment they had to kind of confront Jesus, they took it. Like they would watch and listen to words that he said or actions that he did. And if it was not lined up with the things that they were teaching, man, they immediately saw him as an opponent, as an enemy. And so their eyes were open to anything that they could find. But here, 
I think what is happening is that the disciples are not able to do something. And because of their inability to do it, this argument begins. All right? And so when Jesus comes down, he asks this question, what is it that you're arguing about? Now, let me take a pause before we just keep going into the text, because I think this is a good reminder for us, even as we talk about Jesus coming down from this mountaintop to reality, or even to this valley of, okay, here's all this going on. I'm reminded about how those moments when you and I have those mountaintop experiences, when things seem to be going oh so well, like that is the moment that Jesus or that Satan wants to knock us down. Like when you and I are walking with him, and we're on fire, or we're like connected to Jesus, like Satan does not want the kingdom of God to advance, and he is going to take any opportunity he can to pull us down. And so when you and I have those kind of high experiences, I think we ought to be ready for the attacks that come. Now, hear me, I'm not telling us we need to live paranoid, like everything's going well, I wonder what's going to happen, you know, and starting to look over your shoulders. That's not what I'm telling you to do, because Jesus wants us to live in freedom. That's why he came, that we could live in the freedom and the grace that he has to offer us. But I also, knowing all about spiritual warfare, think that we ought to be prepared. We ought to be ready. When we are walking tightly with Jesus and things are going well, just understand that Satan's going to do what he can to bring you down. And so let us be prepared so that those attacks don't have any kind of firepower on us. We can continue walking strongly with Jesus. Okay? So now if we're back at our text, Jesus has just asked, what is it that you guys are arguing about? So let's read verses 17 and 18. It says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So Jesus has asked this question, what are you arguing about? And this man is the one that answers. I don't know if there was a pause for a while and everyone's waiting for someone else to speak up. Well, I'm not going to talk. I don't know if that's happening. Or I don't know if this man is quick to speak because he knows that his son is maybe the purpose of why this argument is happening. And so he speaks to Jesus. In fact, in Mark, we hear that he's the one that answers. In the book of Matthew, it says the man came and knelt before Jesus. And he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. In Luke, it says that he came up to Jesus and said, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. In fact, up to this point, we've seen Jesus heal or raise from the dead this uh, son of a widow who lived in Nain. And we also have seen Jesus raise the daughter of a man named Jairus, who both of were the only children that they had. And so here's this man with his only child coming to Jesus, hoping for help. Like his son is possessed by the spirit that causes him not to be able to speak or maybe communicate, that causes him to have seizures, that throws him on the ground, that causes him to foam at the mouth, that he gnashes his teeth, that he becomes rigid. That word rigid means wither or dry up. And so imagine his body feeling some sort of paralysis, that it is not working the way that it's supposed to. Luke includes that what the spirit is doing is that every now and then it just causes him to scream and his father even says that it scarcely ever leaves him, and it is destroying him. Matthew says that his son is suffering greatly. And so even as you read this text, you see the physical signs of epilepsy, but you know that it's so much more than that, that it is being caused by this evil spirit. 
And even as we read this text, can you almost feel the pain of the father? Like here's his son just experiencing this, and what can I do to help? Like I would do anything in the world to be able to rescue my son from this. And yet, even as I say that, some of you don't have to imagine very hard. There's things maybe with one of your kids or someone that you truly love that you're like, man, I would do anything to be able to help them not have to continue to experience what it is that they're experiencing. And that's the way the Father is here. And so while, while Jesus was up on the mountain, like Jesus, uh, this man has come to see him, but he's not there. So he asked his disciples, will you heal my son? You know, maybe they're the next best thing while I'm waiting. And the truth is, they've done this before. Back in Mark chapter 6, we read how Jesus sent out the apostles two by two. In chapter 6, verse 13, it actually says that they have drove out demons, okay? So they have done this before. So here in this instance, this boy is being brought to them, but for some reason, it didn't work. And hence, that is what I think is kind of the root of this entire argument that is happening amongst the disciples and the teachers of the law at the bottom of the mountain. And so... Jesus is here. Let's read verses 19 and 20. It says, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? He said, Bring me the boy. And so they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, if you were to look in Matthew or in Luke, it also adds the word perverse. And so at this spot, he's looking around all these people in his presence, but man, there's a lack of faith, a lack of faith in Jesus and his power. There's even this idea of maybe some people not caring about really what is going on with this boy. It says they're perverse, this idea of morally twisted or even distorted away from the desires that God has. And so you hear just Jesus ask this question about, man, how long shall I stay here? How long shall I put up with you? And again, sometimes when we think of Jesus, we immediately going, go in our minds to this idea of he is God, which he is, but we discount the fact that he's also a man. And imagine the experience that he's just had upon the mountain in his glorified state with Moses and Elijah. And the first thing is, boom, all this arguing. And even, I think, just seeing the brokenness. Like, can you imagine when God the Father and Jesus and the Spirit, and they created this entire world, like their intent was never for the brokenness that's happened, that sin has brought. And I wonder just a little bit if Jesus is sitting there just watching the hurt of the Father because of his Son and just going, this is never the way it was supposed to be. And so in that moment, he says, bring me your Son, He's about to reveal his power and compassion. I don't know where his son was. Was he on the edge of the kind of group? Was he a little bit farther away? But they brought him to Jesus. And when the spirit sees Jesus, man, he throws the boy into convulsion, throws him on the ground. And again, he is rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And so clearly it's not just epilepsy. You see that the cause of all of this is this evil spirit that has control on this boy's body. So let's keep reading verses 21 through 24. It says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Well, if you can, Jesus said, 
Everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So the conversation, Jesus says, how long has this been going on? Well, since childhood. And man, this spirit has tried to kill him by throwing him in fire, throwing him in water. Like no time is it safe just to kind of turn my eyes away from him. And he says, if you can do anything, please have pity on us. That word pity, please have deep compassion, this heartfelt love. Will you help? Will you help? And I think about this father coming with this hope that Jesus could do something, but the exact same time he's just witnessed the disciples not able to. And so inside there's a struggle of, I think Jesus can, but man, I don't know. And so that's why he says, you know, if you can, will you do something? And this is one of those spots in the Bible that I'd love to have been there to be able to get the voice inflection because Jesus simply says, if you can. So did he say it kind of like, well, if you can, like the idea of you're wondering whether I can or not, you know, maybe that's the way he says it. I have ultimate power. I can do anything. Or is it almost like if you can, the idea of I can do this, but this is also dependent on your faith. I don't know, but either way, like as soon as he hears anything is possible for the one who believes, he is like, I believe. Will you please help me in this area of my unbelief? Like he realized for his boy to be helped, he first needed help himself. And he comes to Jesus with a genuine faith, but I'll tell you, it's not a perfect faith. He comes, though, with this genuine faith, and Jesus can work with that. And so in this moment, he deals with the spiritual need before he deals with the physical need. And so let's read verses 25 through 27. It says, When Jesus saw that a crowd was running up to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Well, the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. So you see this crowd coming. I imagine some of it is, hey, do you hear Jesus is here? I mean, anytime we have a celebrity, hey, I want to go look. And so hearing Jesus simply want to come and look. But also, how many people were like, it's almost time for a miracle. Like, I want to see this. And so how many people are coming because they want to see what Jesus is about to do? But I'll tell you, Jesus never wanted to be known just as a miracle worker. Like, he is so much more than that. So he quickly rebukes the impure spirit. And he calls him deaf and mute. Not for the sake that that's what the the spirit was, but that's what he was causing the boy. And he commands him to come out. That word command has kind of a military authority uh, feeling behind it. The idea of, I command you, I charge you to come out. Except Jesus doesn't stop there. Like if you read, he said, and never come back. That's also important because in Matthew chapter um, 12, verses 43 through 45, there's a section where Jesus talks about spirits. And he says the spirit left uh, his being, this place that he was inside of someone where he dwelt, and went around looking for another place to rest. But he didn't find one. So he comes back. And when he came back to that original person that he had been inside, he finds that everything is is in order. It looks the exact same as when he had left. The spirit of God hadn't come inside of him. So what he does is he goes and gets seven other spirits to bring back with him. And so now they are all living inside of this person. And Jesus said, it is worse off for that person now than it was at the beginning. And so Jesus doesn't just say, leave, but he says, and never come back. And so at this moment, 
because of this, you know, thing that has been told, this spirit, he shrieks. He convulsed the boy violently and he comes out. Like Matthew just simply says, the boy was healed at that moment. But kind of like reading this, I picture this evil spirit just throwing a fit. Okay? It's kind of like when you punish one of your kids and they have to go to their room, but they're going to let you know that they're not very happy about it. And so they're screaming or knocking stuff down or whatever. So they're obeying, they're going to the room, but boy, they're letting you know that they're not happy about it. That's what I see, although to a much bigger degree here, that, okay, I'm going to come out, but I'm going to hurt this boy one last time if I can, because that's not what I want to do. And so when this boy has the spirit out of him, he looks dead. Like his body is exhausted. It's collapsed, motionless. But Jesus goes over and lifts him up. So not only does he cast out the spirit, but he gives the boy strength. Man, as you simply just look at this story, you see how Satan brings death. But God imparts life. Even John 10.10 talks about the thief. His whole purpose is to come and steal and kill and destroy. Oh, but Jesus came so that we might have life to the full. And when Luke records this, this is how he ends these events. He says, all were amazed at the greatness of God. That's an appropriate response. Seeing what's just happened, all were amazed at the greatness of God. But Luke, or not Luke, Mark adds one other thing. Let's finish verses 28 and 29. It says, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And so again, now the disciples are just with Jesus and they're asking, why is it we weren't able to drive out this demon? In fact, Matthew responds uh, that because you have so little faith. And Jesus continues to teach them, saying, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you'd be able to look at this mountain and say, move. He says, nothing will be impossible for you. Okay, so why exactly were the disciples not able to heal at this moment? Like somehow the issue had to be tied in with prayer and faith. And it could be upon the the father's lack of faith at that moment. I mean, Jesus said anything's possible to anyone who believes. So maybe there's a lack of faith. And so that's why the disciples had an issue. I tend to think that it actually had to do with the disciples. I think in this moment, they took the power that God had given them beforehand for granted. Hey, I'm able to drive out demons here. And so I almost think they went through the ritual as opposed to just listening to the power of God and leaning upon him, plugging into the power source saying, this is what needs to happen. Like the problem wasn't with the methodology, but it was the faith behind it. That man, in this moment, there is spiritual warfare going on and I need to be prepared for that. Not just, I've done this before. Let me say the right words and it'll happen again. And so we look at this whole entire moment And at the end, Jesus is healed. And can you imagine how ecstatic the father and son have to be as they're going home? Their lives have completely changed. You can see the crowds being amazed at what they've seen and heard. You see the disciples learning just a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus and who he is. And I also imagine that the teachers of the law are a little bit silenced at the moment. What do you say to what you've just seen? There's no more argument to be had. So that's all what's going on here. And what I want to focus on for just the next couple minutes, kind of as we wrap up, is this topic of faith 
and unbelief. Because I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding when it comes to these things, or sometimes we even believe lies that have been told to us. And so I want to encourage you today with two truths about simply being with Jesus. And here's the first thing, that Jesus wants you to have genuine faith. Like what Jesus wants us to have is a genuine faith. Like if you look at the disciples, if you look at this man, Jesus didn't kick them out because of their lack of faith. Like he didn't say, I want nothing to do with you. Instead, he talks with the disciples. He, inter- he, he interacts with this man. And I think a misconception that sometimes we have about church or we have about following Jesus is that I have to have a perfect faith. If I don't, then I'm failing. Or if I don't, then I'm letting him down. Or if my faith isn't perfect, like I don't feel like I fit in. I look around at all these other 400 people in this room, and I mean, so many of them have to have their faith put together. I don't know that I fit in. You know, Allspa often talks about the fact that we don't have it all together. We're continuing to learn, but that's what it means to be with Jesus, is continuing to learn from him. But Jesus never requires us to have, quote, a perfect faith, but a genuine one. And I want to tell you this because I know that there's a lot of people that struggle with doubts or struggle with questions, and you wonder, can God still love me with that? Can I encourage you by telling you that having those kind of things is normal? Like having questions, having doubts, that's normal. In fact, I would even call it healthy if you do what you're supposed to do with that. Here's what I mean. If you have these doubts and these questions and you look for answers, your faith grows and actually your faith becomes your own. What I mean by that, if I have doubts and questions but I don't do anything, then what I'm living on right now is my mom or dad's faith or I'm living on the faith of the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, whatever. But man, when I have these doubts and questions and I'm looking for the answer so that I might walk closer to God, the faith becomes my own. And I know that I am living upon him. And so that's what Jesus wants us to do is have a genuine faith. Even if it's small, he can work with that. I've told this story a couple years ago, so maybe you remember it or as I'm telling it, but my kids, uh, we were having swim lessons at someone's house. We were just kind of doing it with them. And so um, back, you know, when my kids were maybe five and three, four and two, somewhere around there. And so my daughter, we're getting to the spot where we're jumping into the water off the side. And so I'm in the water, like I'm going to catch you. All right. And so Leah's standing on the side of the the, uh, pool and you know, she knows the dad's going to catch her, but like, look at all the water around him. (laughs) Like what's going to happen? And if you know her, she's one that she really does like to have things kind of lined out. She wants to know how things are going to work. So she's standing on the side of the pool and she's like, I don't know. You can see the knees bend a little bit a couple times, but just not quite ready to jump in. So eventually she jumps in and I catch her. I'm like, I'm so proud of you. And so I take her over to the side of the pool so she can climb out of the stairs. All right. And so I'm about ready to head back. And then I hear a splash. Okay. My son, who is two years younger, was next in line, and he had not waited till I got back. <laughs> and so, like, I hurry over because he does not know how to swim yet. And so I quickly grab him and pull him above the water, except I look and I realize I've got his leg and his head is still under the water, okay? So, like, then I have to lift even higher to get him up, and I turn him upside down, and he simply just goes, whoo, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> And so then I take him to the side and I'm like, good job. I'm proud of you, son. Wait till I'm ready. Okay. All that kind of stuff. But here's what I want to tell you is that both of my kids had a genuine faith that their dad was going to catch him. Okay. And so then they were able to jump. Now I will tell you, one of them had a lot more fun than the other one. (laughs) 
And that's the way it is with us in our faith. Like there may be moments that, God, I don't know. And we're trying to take that step and I don't know. But like as soon as we do, he's like, I'm so proud of you. And then there's times though as our faith continues to grow and we get stronger and stronger, we're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to jump in and do this. And you just continue to watch God work in your lives. But I want you to know what he wants from us is simply to have a genuine faith. And so if you feel like you are less of a Christian because you have some questions or you have some doubts, or maybe you even begin to wonder, are some of these things happening to me because of a lack of faith? Man, I want to encourage you. Now, I'm not opening up a big can of worms, but can I tell you, do I think that there are times that things happen in our life because we do have a lack of faith, like Jesus doesn't come through in certain things because we haven't stepped out? I do think there are times that that happens. I mean, in Scripture, you see that happen. Do I also think there are times that people take that out of context and they look at you and say, well, you're not healed or you're not this because you don't have enough faith and that is not what Jesus meant? Boy, I think that happens sometimes too. And so here's my encouragement for you is to give yourself some grace, to enjoy the journey of walking with Jesus, to purposely seek him and do things to deepen your relationship with him, but realize that he saved you, not because you had a perfect faith, but because you had a genuine faith and simply said, I believe. I believe. And so a key part of that genuine faith is staying connected to the power source. And so here's the second thing I would tell you, to ask Jesus to help you with your faith. Ask him, Jesus, I believe. Will you help me in these areas that I am struggling with? That's what this father did in this moment. And Charles Spurgeon, he wrote, as a sin, unbelief grieves the spirit of God, but as a weakness, Unbelief, mourned and confessed, secures the Spirit's help. Like what you need to know is there's a difference between my heart just saying, yep, I don't believe, I'm not going to be following after you. But boy, then the other side of, okay, I'm wanting to follow after you, but I have doubts and I'm wondering about this. Will you come alongside and help me? Because that's what Jesus wants to do. He doesn't want you to be afraid to ask for help. He wants to lead you into maturity. He wants to deliver us. And so if you have doubts, if you have struggles, if you have questions, if you even have anger, can I tell you it's okay? But my encouragement would be not just to sit in that place, but then to seek him, to seek him with those things and say, God, this is where I'm at. Will you help me to take steps in whichever way you want me to go? Can I tell you he's big enough Nothing you can say can shock him. He is big enough when you bring all of those things to him. But then after you bring it to him, listen. Seek the answers that he wants you to know. And I will tell you that you may not always see the plan in the moment, like what God is doing, but I will tell you as your faith grows and as you continue to walk with him, you'll see that he was working the whole time. So as simply we're with Jesus, can I encourage you this morning that what he wants us to have is a genuine faith and to ask him for help. And if you do those things, you will be amazed at the mountains that you see him move. So here's what I want. I've just kind of told you about Jesus. I've told you about his power. I've told you about being with him. And I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to spend some time with him. You could be praying by yourself. You can pray with someone next to you. Maybe it's I'm just simply jumping into the arms of my heavenly father and letting him hold me. 
but I want you just to spend some moments with him. And maybe even if part of this is I've never chosen him, like I need my life to be saved by him. I want to walk with him. If that's part of your prayer, offer that up to him. But I'd also encourage you if there's anything that you're not wanting to deal with just by yourself or you want some help, we have people at the prayer room who have been praying during the service and are just wanting to come alongside of you because we don't have to do this alone. And so for a couple minutes, I want you simply just to respond to Jesus, and then I'll pray to close us out. God, I'm thankful that you came to save us, to rescue us, to bring us life. God, I'm thankful that we can even echo the words of the Father here that I believe and will you help me with my unbelief. God, I pray, um, even as those words can cover quite a bit of area with those of us watching online and here in the room this morning, God, I pray that in our areas of our doubts and our worries and wonderings that we can bring them to you. God, in and that we seek you with that. We find out how you're the one that answers all things. God, I'm grateful that we don't have to have perfect faith. But man, I'm also grateful that the more that we walk with you hand in hand, man, it becomes stronger and we're not afraid to jump. Help us this week, just in maybe areas of doubts or conversations with other people. <clears throat> God, maybe we're overwhelmed because right now we're in a valley. And help us to know that you haven't left us and to run to you. God, help us again to do this with one another, that we don't have to do it by ourselves as well. And I'm thankful that we get to live with you for eternity. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.